Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies. And today I speak with Ayelet Kesnelson. She's an international board certified lactation consultant and a labor support doula. And our conversation is a lot about practical advice for caring for your newborn and breastfeeding tips. And I thought this would be a great way to introduce Ayelet to the prenatal yoga center community. She's actually taking over the caring for newborn class, the breastfeeding class, and the breastfeeding support group. So enjoy this. She really gives some interesting background about herself, uh, where she trained, and then some great tips for those that will have a chance to work with her and just those that are entering parenthood. And also just a little bit of a side note, for the next two weeks, there will not be um, a new podcast being released. This Sunday, we are packing up and heading down to Disney World. So I'm super excited about that. Little nervous. My kids tend to get tired and I foresee some tantrums, but I think it will be a great trip. So I'm taking a little bit of a break from that. Uh, another thing just to ask is that if you have been enjoying the podcast, if you've been getting something out of it, just two considerations. We have a donation button on our website, Prenatal Yoga Center, and we've had some really kind, generous donations come in. So thank you because that helps keep the podcast running. And if you're unable to do a monetary donation, I would ask if you don't mind heading on to iTunes or Stitcher and leaving a rating and review and just help other people get to know the podcast and hopefully enjoy this rich, juicy information. All right, enough from me. Let's let's talk to Ayelet, and I hope you have a wonderful holiday. Take care. Hi, Ayelet. I am so excited to speak with you. Thank you for your time. Me too. I'm so excited to speak to you, Deb. How are you? I'm doing well. Coming off a, a long weekend, but ready to jump in. I love starting my week off with podcasts, so Great. <laughs> this is kind of a fun treat. Yes. So you're taking over. You're doing. You're jumping into the big shoes of Andrea, and I'm so thrilled to have you doing the caring for newborn. You're taking a lot. <laughs> you're yes. taking a small role. You're taking a big role. The caring yeah. for newborn, the breastfeeding workshop, and the breastfeeding um, uh, support groups. groups. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. I think it's going to be it's going to be fun. I used to do that in other places before. I have done less of that. I've done mostly clinics, but not as much teaching for the past couple of years, so I'm really really psyched. One of the the things I like the most is teaching actually, um mm-hmm. expecting parents and it's just I love it. So um, I'm really excited that we're going to start doing that in yeah. a couple of weeks. I know. I can't believe it's so soon. So since this podcast is about you sharing some about yourself and some about the practical advice for caring for newborns, let's start with just, if you don't mind telling me a little bit about sure. yourself and how you found your way into this career, because you were an actress like many of us were beforehand. But <laughs> oh, you found that out? Yeah, I, I did. <laughs> I dug deep. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, yes, I was an actress at one point, and then um, I decided to have children. And I found I have two kids. My daughter Zoe is um, nineteen and sleeping next door because she's <laughs> on, home for a month from college. So you know that's all she does now. <laughs> <laughs> when she's home. Um, Zoe was born, and I have Liam, who's 14 uh, years old, is in high school. Uh, when Zoe was born 19 years ago, it was Thanksgiving. 
And so, as a lot of us find out, the hard way on on holidays and weekends, the help in the hospital is, you know, limited because it's a it's a different schedule. They have a holiday schedule, not as many staff on. And so, I got into a lot of trouble with breastfeeding, and I really wanted to. And by the time I got home, it really was not happening. It was kind of a disaster, actually. And so I was devastated. I called my childbirth educator, um, Ellen Schuess, who was very special to me. And this was a while ago, right? (laughs) Yeah, it was a long time ago. I'm dating myself. And um, I said, Ellen, I can't breastfeed. I don't know what to do. And she said, call a lactation consultant. And I really never heard about that profession before. Why should I? You know, I just, I didn't have friends that, that had babies or anything like that. So I called a lactation consultant and she um, came and helped me quite a bit. And um, there weren't a lot, I was on the Upper West Side back then, but you know, we're talking pre-internet or anything like that in any real way. So there weren't a lot of resources in the neighborhood. I had to go down to uh, Elizabeth Seton, Mm. Um, if you remember that place, the freestanding birthing center on 14th street. And they had a lot of classes and things very similar to what you have. Only they also were, um, having babies delivered there. Right. And so they had tons of groups every day. And I just started going religiously to their moms, new moms groups and to their breastfeeding support groups. And, I found it so interesting that so many of us were struggling and, you know, we were all crying in this big room together with our babies and everyone was crying, the babies and the moms. And, you know, it was just, uh, it was actually a very good way to, to get support. Um, but I was really getting into and very curious about why are we struggling? What is going on? Why are women having such a hard time with the whole thing, you know, pregnancy, labor, delivery after the postpartum. And I really got into it. Um, I started to read books. And again, there was no Googling or anything back then and, and articles and, and just, just interviewing people and asking a lot of like questions of the lactation consultants. And, and I was still acting a little bit. And then the, the thing, I guess, that, that really made it clear to me that I was moving away from acting at that point was that I was doing a play and I was away from my daughter for eight time, eight hours a day. And it didn't feel good. I mm-hmm. was breastfeeding and I just was, it's just, my heart wasn't in it. All I wanted to do was go back home to be with her. And I figured that if that's what I wanted to do, then I shouldn't be doing this anymore. And so I, I, I really got into the, the, the field by, by getting interested in the world and slowly shifting gears and moving more and more towards that and also found a profession that allowed me to then really schedule um, everything around my kids' schedule. So uh, essentially, I'm a businesswoman right now running my own business. I'm the only one, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a corporation of one. <laughs> and um And then I could just, you know, I didn't have to explain why I need a day off because my son asked me to come to a a day at school that they were having or um, if they wanted me to join them on a trip. I was really able to then um, work around my kids' schedule and it was just perfect combination, a perfect combination of me doing something I love and feel really strongly and passionate about, which is breastfeeding, as well as uh, my family and children. They, I never felt that they had to come second to it. So that was just a perfect blend for me. Of, of, of those worlds. I've gotten, I, I've gone back to acting a little bit now that my kids are older and really 
don't really care where I am <laughs> most of the time. Um, and so, you know, I never had to completely let go of it. But for 15 years or so, that really was not a focus for me anymore. But the whole IBCLC, that's a big certification. That's not just like a little, you know, weekend yeah. training. No, it it is. And back then when I did it, I actually passed my boards back in 2004. So I trained from 2000 to 2004 before I had enough hours because back then we needed a minimum of 2,500 hours. Now I believe it's 500. Wow. So it took me a long, long time and I already had kids at that point. So I couldn't just study and, you know, I, you have to go, you have to have supervised hours. So they're clinical and you have mm -hmm. to be in touch with women and work with them. So it's just, you have to be out of the house working. And so I didn't have as much time to do it. So, you know, it was a few hours here, a few hours there. So it took me almost four years. By that point, I luckily had over 3000 hours. Um, and they only offer the, the boards once a year. And so you, I had to wait until I accumulated enough of the, uh, clinical out supervised supervised hours as well as all the classes I had to take. But yes, it's pretty intense. And then they have you um, recertify every five years. Um, every 10 years, you have to resit for the boards, although I think they're changing that and we won't have to retake the exams again and again because it's, uh, it's I think it's one of the only professions that you have to keep taking this big exam. But um, yeah, so it's, it's a lot, but uh, you have to, you know, you deal with newborns, you t deal with babies that are sometimes just a few minutes, few hours old. You need to know when things are not going well and something is wrong. It's uh, it's a lot to, yeah, to, it's a big responsibility. to be able to, it's big. So, you know, if you just take a, a week uh, or a weekend course, it's just not going to give you that kind of uh, uh, knowledge. And so when did, and I believe you're also a labor support doula, when did that start to get, start to get interwoven into your life? So, um, uh, when was it? It was about three years ago that I, I mean, throughout the years, because uh, of, of, you know, I also took childbirth, um, ed and, and I knew all of that. So I really was immersed in the world in so many other ways. And I was helping friends and family, my sisters during births. So I was essentially their doula. I never called myself that because I wasn't certified or anything. And, um, and then I thought, again, my kids were older. I didn't want to be on call when they were younger. So I didn't really want to take it on. But once I felt like, you know, it was not a big deal if I were to, be called in the middle of the night for a birth, then I decided that I, I wanted to do it. I really always loved being present for, for birth. It's an amazing, you know, privilege to hold space. It's so sacred and amazing. And so I really wanted to do it, but wanted to, to train for it. So I, um, uh, did the training through Dona. I also uh, took a trip to the farm, and, <laughs> I and did that. that was that was amazing. trippy, <laughs> right? Oh my God, was it ever? Well, um, that was my first time really in the deep south. Like I kind of jumped around. I kind of went from like the yeah. east coast down to Florida. I'm like, that's not really. And then like I think the uh, most I had been was like Tallahassee, um, and then yeah, going into Tennessee. Like I know I've never been. <laughs> there either. I've never been to the South. So it was, although the farm, I think it's a, it's a world in and of itself. Yeah. Like but you pass was, the gates and you're like, we are somewhere where, else. Where exactly. I lost weight. I walked a lot. I <laughs> ate really good food. It was all healthy vegan food. I mean, it was amazing. All right, so explain um, the farm for those that are listening. They're like, where is okay. this place she's talking about? <laughs> okay. So the farm is, um, a place that was, um, 
uh, originally um, started uh, by Ina Mae Gaskin and a whole group of other women who were looking for um, alternative to to births. I mean, they actually started for a different reason, but, um, you know, the caravan, they drove all over the country for two years and they, on the way, needed to, you know, they were all new young couples and they were helping each other. <laughs> yes, have babies. And so, and then they saw that they needed to get more training. And so they stopped in some ways and some doctors took them under their wings. But anyway, eventually they found a space. They they pitched a tent literally in like this big area in Tennessee, uh, Summertown, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, they started to um, have like basically people come to them from all over and do uh, have the experience of unmedicated natural birth on the farm itself. Um, and so they have, um, as I know, you know, they have the, um, midwife assistant, um, program there, which is what I went to do and, um, for a week. And we, you know, had a placenta delivered to our room there because someone just delivered and they said, we got a permission. Here's a placenta. You know, we got to really work with things, our hands right in there. And so it was just really an incredible experience. And then, uh, when I got back, I, started doing the births and, and things like that. And so I try to incorporate both worlds as best as I can. It doesn't always work so well because, you know, a birth you called and then you have a full day planned of, of clients that you're seeing for breastfeeding. But, you know, everyone is understanding these moms that I'm, I'm supposed to, you know, maybe push the appointment for 24 hours, understand they just came from the hospital themselves. So they're like, sure, sure. Good luck to everyone, you know, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it's a great way for me to see them before they have the baby while they have the baby. And then after they have the baby and help them with breastfeeding as well. So it kind of is like, um, a complete, um, the whole gestalt for me. It's yeah. Beautiful. The whole circle. And then you also worked in, um, in a hospital setting. Is that correct? I did. I want I to did. hear about that because I'm sure that's very different than totally. showing up at someone's house. Exactly. Totally different. Um, I worked, um, my ex-husband, I'm remarried now, but my ex-husband, uh, David, uh, is an actor. And so we moved to Los Angeles for his career for a while in 2000, between 2005 and 2007. So when I was there, um, Cedar sinai was um, looking for, uh, someone called me and said, listen, Cedar, uh, Cedar sinai is looking for a lactation consult. Maybe you should go and interview. Maybe it's a good deal, whatever. And so I went in and I interviewed and I loved the woman, um, um, her name is Linda Kingsley, um, who was running the program. She still is actually all these years. And she had such an incredible program there that I'm sure you would appreciate uh, knowing how things work here. 365 days a year, they have three IBCLCs on the floor from eight to five, give or take, with a cell phone that see all the moms that want to be seen uh, for private in their room. And it's about 45 minutes at least. That's great. So, and if the baby was taken to NICU, the, mo- <laughs> the to the, to the neonatal intensive care unit, the, we would go with a pump to the mom, explain everything uh, about the pump, pump together, show her how to um, store it and bring it to the NICU for their baby. They also had lactation consultants in the NICU. And so, um, it was incredible. Women were really getting all the help they needed if they wanted to. Um, 
What's so different is that when you see someone there, you see sometimes I would even go to uh, recovery, you know, and so you're seeing essentially sometimes a baby that's a few minutes or a few hours old um, versus a baby that's three, four, five days old when I go see them here privately. And it's a completely different set of issues. The baby's more awake when I see them here. They're really sleepy at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Mature milk is not in yet. So we're still looking at colostrum, the early milk. Uh, Babies need needs are tiny. Their bellies are so small. They need just five to seven cc's at the beginning. I'm going to just jump in. Can you explain that to what five to seven cc's? It's like a teaspoon, right? Yeah. It's very, very little. So it's like- I want to highlight that because I know so many times- Quarter of an ounce, let's say. Quarter to third of an ounce. That's how tiny it is. Their their stomach walls are uh, firm. They don't stretch. So we can't really feed them two, three. You know, when people say, well, maybe my baby needs what? A full bottle when they were just born. And we say, no, no, no. They don't have the capacity of even- you know, taking that much. And so um, it's a it's a very different set of issues. When you see a mom, also you have to, by the time I see them, many of them feeling much better, even if they did have a C-section or a complicated labor and delivery, but when I see them at home, but when you see them in the hospital, they're really still reeling from the experience. So there are a lot of accommodations, you know, women that cannot sit up. So we have to try and figure out how to help them do it lying down, which is actually not so easy to do for the first few weeks. Um, and, um, it's, there's a lot more explaining about the swallowing and sucking and, you know, so it's really, really an early way. Uh, the first time they've ever put the baby to the breast many times. So, um, yeah, it's a completely different set of issues. And I, uh, had, the theoretical knowledge of that and as well as the knowledge with my both to both of my children but it's a completely different thing when you actually get to work uh hands-on in that environment and you also have to learn to write um notes a specific mm-hmm. in a very specific way and enter into the computer and learn um, what abbreviations are allowed and whatnot and how to write the note because a doctor is going to be reading it and how not to get in trouble with that. It's very, it was such a good way for me to learn about that world. And Linda Kingsley was such an amazing mentor um, that I really feel that has given me so much knowledge of the early postpartum way, because you have to see, like, sometimes I would see seven to 10 moms a day. Mm -hmm. So you see so many cases that by the time I left, it was so great. So if I see someone that had a home birth here, um, I don't have to think, oh my God, it's day one. I don't know. What do you do with day one? I never see them on day one. I don't worry about that. I saw them on day one and I can see them at six months, you know? So I feel like I can really um, support them from before, during, and after in all ways, because I have had the the good fortune to have the experience that um, really is uh, from all the different um, times, uh, periods that a mom is going through um, since she's really um, conceives until after she has the baby. So let's jump into that a little, because I want to start to unpack some of the advice and some of the ideas. And I'm, I'm jumping into a little bit of what you just said about, I want to revisit the idea of how little babies really get, because I think it gets people very anxious. They just have their baby. They're told, you know, get the baby to the breast and then they mm-hmm. expect, you know, a big feed. So can right. you talk a little bit about the expectations of the first day or so 
of, of breastfeeding? So the first day, actually, sometimes not a lot of breastfeeding is happening the first 24 hours. And sometimes, you know, some babies are more alert and more awake. It depends on a lot of different things. We're looking at gestational age. Is the baby early? Is the baby full term? Is the baby post due date? Um, it's a different kind of nurser. You know, if a baby is a little early, uh, they're a little on the small side, they may be a little more tired. Are they, uh, did the mom get a lot of medication during her um, delivery? Um, for instance, I can just tell you anecdotally as well. My daughter, I did have an epidural with her. She was really sleepy. Her instincts and reflexes were more depressed. So she really wasn't ready to feed a lot. With my son, I had him in a birthing center. And so he was born basically with, with like, you know, saying to me, food right now, <laughs> like he was so ready to feed and he started immediately and he did a lot better than she did because of it, I think. But um, so they're born with reserves. So people are usually in the hospital not concerned, the staff, I mean, about the baby eating or not eating too much. So many times they say, it's okay, just try and, and attempt to. But um, I always suggest to parents to not just kind of let them be, but be more proactive. If they're sleepy, that's okay. You can start unwrap them because, you know, they wrap them so tightly like a little burrito with the swaddle blankets and put the hat on. And these babies are not as likely to wake up. They're very cozy. So if they're able to maintain their uh, body temperature and it's not an issue, I say start unwrapping them. Um, uh, once every two to three hours, just to see if they will be willing to go to the breast, just to practice while you're there. Um, we know from studies that if babies start to feed relatively early and well, that they the mom's milk production is better. Their mature milk is coming in faster. Everything kind of falls into place better. But in the, at the same time, we want to remember that we're not looking at them chugging milk, you know, chug, chug, chug. It's a little bit of sucking, some swallowing. It's not that efficient. We don't hear a lot of the, you know, some babies you can really hear them swallow. We don't hear a lot of that. It can be short. It can be... Um, a little, you know, not very um, vigorous, but I still suggest to try and and bring them to the breast, you know, at least four or six times in the first 24 hours, if not more, uh, but definitely try and wake them up um, more frequently. But the first 24 hours, again, not tons of food, but we want to start at least getting them ready to the rhythm and for us too to know what we're going to be following when we are discharged. If it's vaginal birth within 48 hours and if it's um, C-section, probably three to four days into it. That's good. I just wanted to hear par parent, you say that for parents because I think there is a misconception a baby's not having enough or then like they have pressure from family. It's like, oh no, it looks like the baby's not getting enough and then the mom right. starts to feel, am I not doing it right? Okay, bring right. that bottle in. So it can be a, right. you know, a little bit of a crisis of confidence. So thank you for explaining that. Yeah. And, and a quick thought about that is that also I think sometimes it's a little demoralizing to hear when some women are told at the beginning, well, your milk is not in. And so they 
think, well, then I have nothing for my baby. And I always say to them, your breast milk has been in since the middle of your pregnancy. You already have milk and you have been making milk for a long time. It's colostrum. It's just called differently. It has a name. Mm-hmm. You know, it's colostrum. It's the early milk. But small amounts can last a baby a long time. So unless the staff is coming in and saying, we're concerned about X, Y, and Z, other people noise around you shouldn't you know, well, it's hard to say it's, it's, it's hard to do, but shouldn't, you know, hurt them with, with their confidence because they really should say, okay, if something was not going well, the doc, the doctor, the nurses will come and tell me. So let me just keep trying here with my baby. And I know they don't need tons of food. So let us just do our thing for a bit and, and try. Cause I think by the time they get home, they're already hearing all these sounds in their head, as you just mentioned so mm-hmm. loudly that they, they, they feel like they maybe need to throw in the towel. They just don't know what they're going to do because they don't feel like they're adequate. So let's talk a little bit about bringing baby home. From your experience working with new parents, what have you found to be their biggest concern about bringing a newborn home and caring for it? I remember <laughs> being on my own um, <laughs> yeah. the newborn but like, with my oh. husband, and we're like... Yeah. Let's just keep the baby alive until the postpartum doula comes. Like it was. That's exactly <laughs> it. It's exactly. No one really wants to say it, but they really want to make sure that their baby survive <laughs> with them because they're like, I'm not equipped. I mean, I, you know, I've had so many parents say to me, I needed a license to drive a car. They just sent me home with a newborn and they didn't even check if I know what I'm doing. Um, and um, I hear from so many new parents, the funny thing is that they were so concerned with the birth that they really focused on pregnancy and labor. And they said labor was relatively short and now it's the rest of our lives with our kids and now we're not ready. We don't know anything. We didn't prepare enough. Right. So first thing is definitely take a class like <laughs> the one I'm going to be teaching for you guys, the newborn <laughs> care class, because um, these kind of um, pieces of information, I think, are really valuable, especially for people that have never uh, been around a newborn. You know, I was lucky. I um, had, uh, I have uh, two very young sisters. I have one sister that's that's close to me in age, but two that were, I was 14 and 16 years old when they were born. So I actually changed diapers and helped my mom with a lot of things. Um, back then, we had the big, you know, cloth diaper with the safety pin. I mean, it was... <laughs> No one would be thinking of doing anything like that. So, um, so many parents think, I don't know, you know, how, how do I prepare? I don't feel I know what to do. What will, how will I know if something is wrong? Um, well, will I know how to feed them? And so those are the kind of things that we really do address in a class. And so I think that it really helps parents to prepare because then they will have a handout to look at. They will have notes from the class. They have a point person they can you know write or my students write to me all the time and send me photos of poops and all kind of things <laughs> is this okay what do you think you know it's uh, it's not a strange text for me to get so um it, it's true uh, the biggest concern for parents is that they want to make sure they don't hurt their babies and i always tell them you're not going to mm-hmm. you know uh First of all, they're a lot more durable than we think. Um, and then um, you will know, your gut will tell you, you possess what, what you already need to be an amazing parent, and that's a good heart. And you will do the best that you can, and sometimes your best will be, you know, not so great, and some of your best will be amazing. And and uh, it's it, they're going to make it. We all, you know, we all 
make it babies and, and parents. It's just uh, a little daunting at first because, you know, my, my ex, you know, I remember then he, he said to me, um, I just keep waiting for someone to knock on the door and say, hand her over, you clueless, we're <laughs> taking her away, you know? Um, so we all share that kind of, um, that fear. Of, uh, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> exactly. But we all learn somehow. And, and I think really taking a class does help a lot. Well, what are the top three skills a new parent should focus on as they learn to care for their new baby? Um, so there is there, I have a f- more than three, but I'll start with three. <laughs> uh, let's say feeding pattern of a newborn is very important or else you will be very confused and maybe, um, even upset. Why is my baby waking up at night to feed? I mean, if you have no clue of what a baby feeding pattern is like, um, then that's what's one thing you really want to know. Um, they need to learn how to change a diaper. <laughs> um, they need to learn how to pick up their baby. And this is something I, I address in my class. Some people say, I don't even know how to hold them. And I'm worried about their heads or their necks or, you know, because they can't support their own necks. So even learning how to hold, how the, to pick them up, um, learning how to bathe their baby, how to dress them. Um, um, and one important thing is, is to learn how to go to sleep very quickly when the baby is sleeping. So to just like go and lay down, you know, as soon as the baby falls asleep, drop everything, go to sleep with them. But um, some of those are things that you can learn in the hospital um, with the nurses as well. Um, and again, in the class, you know, because for instance, in the class that, that I teach at, at I'm going to teach um, at um, the Prenatal Yoga Center, we do, we learn how to bathe them. We learn how to swaddle them. We learn how to pick them up. We learn how to change their diaper and everything. So those are things that, that take a little bit of time and practice. But once you do, you can see people do it really fast and feel a lot more comfortable. But handling the baby, people feel they're so fragile. They, they're so scared of even, you know, is this hurting them? Am I touching them right? So just being comfortable with picking them up, holding them, handling them, doing a lot of that um, from the hospital will, will help them. So by the time they get home, they feel a lot more secure with that. I like your advice, and I've heard it a hundred times about sleep when the baby sleeps. I didn't find that very realistic for myself. When the baby finally right. went down, I'm like, all right, I still what have to, I... I have to shower, yeah. I have right. to, so, and, and so I'm still right. working, so, yeah. you know. Oh, my God. You know, so yeah. maybe maybe because I did, you know, I never, as a business owner, I've never really stepped away. Um, yeah. So I kept, and I was still working, I was just trying to clean up. So. Yeah. Am I the only one that got a big F on that grade? <laughs> no, we all do. We all do. I'm really good at giving this advice. I was never good at doing it. But I always say, if we say it enough times, maybe someone eventually is going to listen. Because especially now, you know, the baby goes to sleep. We write uh, thank you cards. We check our emails. Snapchat. I mean, you know, there's now even more things inter- interrupting. We have a phone that keeps dinging at us and people want to know and send photos. So we really start expanding a lot of energy on the things that I think are not helpful to us. And I have to say, I sometimes come in and I see a mom and she looks like she's about to to really drop and she can barely keep her eyes open. She's also dealing with breastfeeding issues, obviously, because I'm there to help her with it. And um, and and sleep at that point is really not even some sort of a luxury. It's a necessity. If she 
will not sleep. She's not going to function. And so sometimes we have to, you know, I talk to the partner if she has one, family members, whoever's around, and we come up with a plan and, and you see she just needs that. So cleaning has to go by, you know, fall by the wayside. We, we just, there's something. So I say to parents, okay, whatever you cannot get rid of, fine, do. But what you can just say, okay, that's not going to be perfect for now, but in a few weeks, I'll pick it up again. Um, and even if you're not going to sleep, maybe just sit for a few minutes, close your eyes, just stop, just just stop for a second and see, listen, what is, what is going on there? Do you maybe feel like, oh, you know what? I forgot to eat. Let me go sit and eat for now. I mean, I'd rather no, that's you so eat true. To, That's so true. Right? I mean, I remember thinking like, all right, I'm having a glass of milk that has protein. Like that right. can, can that be a meal? And so you're right. Like yeah. looking back, maybe I didn't make the best choices, but I do feel like, unfortunately my choices was common, but I yep, think you're right. Like the bigger picture is, is the mom taking care of herself because her right. body is taking care of another. And you're right. The emails exactly. should wait. They may not, but I, right. You're right. I'm going to go back to that is good advice. And, and I hope people listen because I failed miserably at that. So, <laughs> so one, one quick thing that people can do to help with it a little bit is just do back then we had answering machines. So I had on my answering machine, the outgoing message said, we had the baby. We'll call you guys when we come out from under and maybe you can do, you know, people can do on their email, um, uh, like a, repl- uh, you know, automatic reply. We had the baby, maybe with the photo, even all the information, we're not going to be answering, you know, for a few weeks. Thank you for all your well, you know, the, the good wishes and we'll get back to you. And that way it's just one thing that they do and everyone else gets it and knows to, you know, that it's going to be a while before you, so you don't have the, the, this, you know, the stressful feeling of, I have to answer this. I have to answer that. Some things you will have to, but many of them you don't. And it's that people can help just make, wanting to. Yeah. And that can make the transition a little easier for everyone too. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else that you think can be helpful for new parents about this transition? Um, so, I mean, w- one, one thing, let's see. Uh, I do want people, I usually want people to take a CPR, an infant CPR class beforehand, because part of why we're so scared of being parent, because we want to make sure they're okay. I think that helps. I know you guys have, do you have Vanessa and Jeff teaching there? We do. Yeah. Yeah. They're amazing. Mm -hmm. So that's a great uh, infant CPR class to take. Um, because they make it fun and not yeah. just, you know, because otherwise everyone sits there like scary and now they make it fun and funny and you remember better that way, I think. Um, so that's a really good thing to do. Another thing is um, to really be a re- be realistic and to try and avoid having any major events after the baby is born. Sometimes we don't have a choice, especially if you are Jewish and going to have a bris. So that's a major event that I think is really rough, especially for oh, the mom. But I remember that. That was just not my best day. No. <laughs> I just got in a fight with like my sister-in-law and mother-in-law about where the challah should sit. And I just like, oh my God, God. down here. Like it was eight <laughs> days later. I had, a, yeah. I had a long birth. It was this is a cruel joke. Yep, exactly. I, I totally agree. And so I did this for me. It was, I just said to my mom, but I, it was easier because I, my family's in Israel mostly. So for me, there was not a lot of people around and I was just saying, you know what, it's just you and two other people. And that was it. And I just did not want it to be a big event because I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And so 
you know, as best as they can to avoid major major events, uh, or not to plan anything big for the first few weeks, um, because they're not going to have the energy to to do a lot of mm-hmm. really anything. Um, and also, I always recommend towards the end of the pregnancy, if people cook at home or if, if you know, whatever, uh, someone's cooking, whatever it is, to make extra and put it in the freezer. So then they take it out and can defrost it very quickly and have a meal ready for them. Because, mm-hmm. again, I think a lot of us have this um, hallmark moment thinking, oh, we're going to come home. We're going to have our baby. It's going to be so romantic. It's going to snow out. We're going to sit on the sofa, the baby between us. And then so nice and you'll cook and we'll sit together like a family and it doesn't happen not for a while and so you know you're not going to have time to eat and so things like that can can actually give you some protein good meals you know good food that that's very um helpful uh, for the recovery um and then also to really have um as few visitors as possible at the beginning not just because of exposing babies to everyone's germs especially during flu season but also because um you have to be up you know you have to have a certain kind of energy when you have visitors and maybe even decide to change your clothes that you haven't, you know, changed in days <laughs> and put on makeup, which is like, who even remembers what that is or get your hair, whatever. And, and then entertain and then do their dishes because when they leave, they leave their dishes. So to really just, obviously some family members are going to have to come immediate family, but the rest just say, you know, pediatrician said, uh, maybe less visitors for now. The baby hasn't, they haven't had their shots yet. Um, unless it's people that will come and do your dishes and make you food <laughs> and things like that. Those people are welcome anytime. But yeah, to really just know you're going to kind of hunker down and, and just like stay in and not want to do too much unless you have to go, you know, just one major event a day is to go to the doctor. And people think, really, it's such a big deal to go to the doctor right now. Go to the doctor with no problem. I'm like, yes, with a newborn, it's a big deal. You'll see you go to the pediatrician, you come back and you need a huge nap just from going out with the baby to see the doctor. So, you know, I think just to have realistic expectations of what we can and cannot do and basically assume you're not going to want to do much. And so plan around that. Yeah, I agree with all that. All right. I want to start to move into some very practical tips. All right. So I remember this, I had a summer baby, I had a winter baby, and I remember thinking, how to dress them. Cause I remember my husband, and I took our son out. We had him mid July and we way overdressed him. Oh yeah. <laughs> and he got so hot and you could see it. Yes. And then my daughter, I was like, how many layers? And then of course everyone commented. So let's go of through course. a few practical things. Layers, especially with the okay. winter coming up. How many layers? So um the rule of thumb generally is whatever the parent is wearing plus one. So, for instance, if we are with a short sleeve T-shirt, then the baby needs the short sleeve like onesie plus a long uh, sleeve onesie. But when we go outside, they need to then also have the same things as we would be having. If it's a very cold day, we would have a shirt, maybe then a longer shirt, you know, short shirt, a longer shirt, maybe a sweater, and then a big, you know, a snowsuit or something like that for the baby, including a hat. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's weather advisory, obviously, I say do not go out unless you have to. Don't have any skin exposed because then we're talking about really, um, you know, a very, very chilly um, temperature. But um, when it's hot out, 
they're hot just as we are. So if it's really hot, we don't need to do the plus one um, because they're going to be, <laughs> as, you, as you found out, too warm. And we don't want babies in general to get too hot. Um, hot Babies that are too hot get more lethargic. It's harder for them to wake up. They don't really know when they're hungry. And apparently hungry a heat as, rash. <laughs> well, oh, you, you, you learned that rash. one too. Yes, a heat rash. That's true. Um, but if we're also going to talk about temperature, for instance, in the um, um, apartment, when in our houses, uh, the recommendation is for the rooms to be between 68 and 72 degrees Fahrenheit, which is about 20 to 22 um, Celsius. So, um, and at night, we, when they sleep, we still don't want them to be too hot or too cold. Uh, if they're cold, they're going to be fussy. They can't move and generate like we do and, and generate heat. Um, yet. And so we want to, um, the same rule applies for them. So at night we may swaddle them. That may be the plus one or sleep sack may be the, the plus one. You know, we want to make sure that they have something extra on them more than what we would need, uh, because the room is not going to be so hot for them and they, they need to be comfortable, um, in their room. So, um, Always think whatever you're wearing, plus one, and then outside, definitely uh, make sure that they're completely covered uh, during the winter with a hat, their face covered if need, you know, like um, um, uh, if there's if they're a little older and there's some sort of a, what do you call those? Um, when the children are a little older, they have those, um, you have those, like, like almost like a ski mask or whatever, yeah. or like, yes, or something that goes around the neck or whatever. But when they're little, you can't do any of that. Well, then when they're little, um, I remember putting my daughter in the, she had like a full, it wasn't just body, little, yes. yeah, like a whole bodysuit type yep. of thing. And then yep. she was also in the stroller and then the uh-huh. stroller had some sort of cover to it too. That's right. That's right. So in a stroller, you have the cover. They have all those things that zip around. Yeah. And then if you carrying them on you, I would have my daughter on me and then at, um, a, um, a blanket, like I had a fleece blanket that I put around and tucked into the carrier that I was carrying her in. So mm-hmm. it was tucked into the sides. So she would have that little snowsuit plus um, a blanket over me or the blanket over the zips on um, in the um, stroller. Yeah, yeah, I also would, if I'd wear her, I'd put her inside my coat. My coat was big enough that she could be yes. in there. So if I wore my husband's coat, that's what I would do. Mine was a little tight, but his was um, the big, uh, really great big, um, uh, whatchamacallit, coat with uh, not not fleece, but uh, like down. down. Yeah. yeah. And so I would zip it and she loved it. But by the end, whenever we would get anywhere, we would both be sweating so much. <laughs> yeah. Then you take right? her off and there's a sweat spot on you. Yes, yeah. exactly. You're like, Oh, not so good looking for the party now, but you know, yes, everyone was really nice and warm. So I knew both of us were well protected uh, right, let's from the keep element. Going in the idea of sleep swaddle or no swaddle. Um, so when we look at the world around us, um, some cultures never swaddle and think it's strange. And some, some would never think not swaddling their babies. So what does that tell us? It tells us that they do just fine whether you swaddle them or not. So that's first thing to remember because some baby, some parents are like, I don't know how to, and my baby doesn't like it. And everyone tells me I have to, you don't have to, no one has to, but especially now when 
the quite a while for the past, I don't know how many years, 15 or so that we've been told to put the babies back uh, on their back to sleep. I find that babies um, startle themselves a lot more because uh, they have the moral reflex, you know, like they're when they throw their hands as if they're falling. And when there's no weight on them, like when they were on their stomach, they were weighted down. And so they keep uh, startling and waking up this way. And when they're um, swaddled, they don't do that and they stay asleep much longer. So I say to parents, look, you can try and swaddle them and see how it feels for them, for you. Some babies hate their hands in and they can be swaddled from the, you know, under their arms and under uh, through their legs, but they want their hands out by their face. Um, some love to be swaddled completely and some hate it. And some parents say, oh, they're fuss. Well, they're going to fuss at first when you just start the swaddling process, just because you're moving them and touching them. Um, but to know really if they like it or not, you have to finish the swaddle and then hold them and kind of like rock them for a bit and see if that is something they enjoy. Um, and some babies really don't like it. And so I say, don't, don't force them to do that. But, but definitely the first couple of weeks when you get to know your baby and get to know what helps them sleep better, um, uh, swaddling is definitely something to to try. That's something I do in the class. I, I teach everyone how to do it so they have the option. Mm -hmm. And um, I know you can buy the ready one, the cheat sheet one, I call them, because, you know, you don't have to learn how to do it yourself. But I like to uh, be able to use uh, just a real swaddle blanket and, and, and do it from scratch because when they also get a little bit bigger, they still fit in there. Um, and um, never swaddle a baby to feed them. Uh, unless they can't feed unswaddled, which is pretty rare, um, because they get too sleepy. And so um, they won't feed as efficiently. Yeah, they just are so nice and warm and cozy. They're right next to mom, especially if she's breastfeeding. They're right by their breast, and they're like, good night, bye-bye, and that's <laughs> it. So it's hard to keep them awake. But, um, yeah, that's my advice, advice about uh, swaddling. All right, let's talk about a realistic sleep-wake schedule for a newborn. Okay. That's good because, as as I discussed before, parents should have a realistic expectation. So, um, as we discussed, the stomach is very small. That means so the first day or so they need, as we said, five to seven cc's, third quarter of an ounce. Uh, day two, maybe fifteen cc's, which is half an ounce. By day three, again, this is rough. Uh, about. 30 cc's, which is about an ounce, um, about 45 cc's, four or five days, which is an ounce and a half. And then towards the end of the first week, about 60, which is about two ounces, give or take. A lot of it has to do with uh, their gestational age as well as their size when they were born, because each baby needs a different amount after the first week, and we base it more on their weight. Um, but those small amounts that I am talking about are no matter if it's 60 or 80, it's still relatively small. And that tells us that the babies are going to feed very frequently. So they feed sometimes eight to 12 times in a 24 hour period. So that so could no be one's sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> no one's sleeping. Exactly. That's like eight to 12 times. Uh, eight to 12 times is about every two to three hours. Um, uh, and we, uh, 
count from beginning to beginning. So if, and a feeding can take, you know, 20 to 50 minutes, five zero sometimes between the whole thing, changing diaper and burping. So this is why so many parents are overwhelmed at first because the baby feeds for almost an hour and then they're done for an hour or two and then they start again. But this is why we can take cat naps. So um, realistic expectation is to take that we're not going to have those long six, eight, 10, 12 hours sleep anymore, cycles anymore. We're going to sleep for two hours, wake up again, then sleep. If we're lucky for three hours, wake up again. And the baby does that too. They wake up no matter what you feed them, whether you're breastfeeding or bottle feeding formula or breast milk, they still are going to need to feed frequently because um, compared to other mammals, human milk is relatively lower in protein and um, fats and other things. So the human baby is a continual feeder, not spaced feeder. They need to feed very frequently and they need to be very close to their moms to do that. So that's a rude awakening for most uh, parents. And even a lot of my clients are doctors and things. And they said, I thought I had it down. I went to medical school. I never slept. This one is kicking my butt for sure. You know, so it's like, it's a different kind of exhaustion that most people have not experienced before. But the good thing is it it does change. So the good news (laughs) is, the good news is it feels like forever, but after the first, I would say around four weeks or so, after the first four weeks, they can, and even sometimes sooner, really by two weeks, if the doctor is saying we're okay, um, everything is fine in terms of weight gain, we're happy with how the baby's doing, you can start going longer stretches. And even a two-week-old baby can give us two, a three, four, five-hour stretch, which can be okay if they're doing well in terms of how they're growing, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and by the end of four to six weeks, they can do what we call even a full night's sleep, which is six hours. That's a full night's sleep for a newborn. And so many times I hear parents saying, I got from midnight to six and I'm a new person. I have never felt this good. You know, it's like sometimes just getting an extra hour or two, we feel like a completely different person. So this, um, short, um, intensive period with our babies does not stay like that. And the other good thing to remember, especially when they're breastfeeding, babies become very efficient. So the long feeds that they have at first do not continue forever. Many of them can be feeding in five, 10 minutes and be done and moving on. So it's almost like, oh, didn't even notice we fed and we're moving right along to something else. So uh, it's really the early phase that it's the overwhelming phase. And after that, we start to kind of getting the rhythm of it. We get to know the baby, uh, our babies, and then we got to, we get to start kind of figuring out the pattern and and how to to deal with it better. And I think that's important for parents to hear is that it can be a lot in the beginning, but it will pass. Absolutely. All right. So last thing, since we're going to start to wrap things up, is there any further advice on practical or practical skills that you want to talk about that I haven't asked? Um, Well, so yes, one thing I, I, it's more just a general, um, what something we just touched on the last thing we talked about, the adjustment. I just want people to know that um, although the babies sleep 16 plus hours a day, um, the parents may feel sleep deprived at first and overwhelmed. Um, letting the non-pressing things go 
Um, for instance, some parents say we need to give the baby a bath every day. I don't know how to fit that into my schedule. It's, it's crazy. And, and the baby hates it and they're crying. And I say, you know what? You don't have to fit one every day. If you don't want to, or it's too much for you right now, you can do it once every other day or once a week or once a month. We are cleaning <laughs> the most important parts. Do you know, we, we can sponge bathe them. We are uh, wiping them a lot. Um, uh, they're they're not spending time in the sandbox with their friends yet. You know, there's there are a lot of things like that that people feel the pressure that they have to do, or that that's this is how their friends did. And this is something that uh, I really want all parents to, if they can, to let go. Comparing themselves to others all the time. I see, especially moms, they compare themselves. But my friend told me it starts with my friend has more milk than me when she's pumping. My Her baby sleeps longer. She is able to get a, a bath in every day or whatever. Okay. So your friend is able to do all of that. Does not make her a better mom, a worse mom. It just makes her a different mom than you. Every parent has to figure out how to navigate through life with their own family and their own children. And what worked for their parents or their friends or their siblings may not work for them. Or even what worked for them with their first kid may not work with their second kid. So to let go of the expectation, to let go of the, you know, perfectionism, which especially in New York City is hard. We all type A, we're like getting things done, we're getting places on time. To let go of all of that, to know that it's going to be a little messy and it's okay and that we all get there and we all just kind of experiment and um, we improvise all the time. And um, I say the important words to know in the English language with our children is, I'm sorry, because <laughs> when they're a little bit older, they're going to tell you you suck and you fail them. And <laughs> then you just say, you know what, that wasn't my best moment and I'm sorry. And let's try again. We get to do redos many times. So um, parents need to know that they're they're off the hook. They, they're going to make mistakes. It's going to be messy. It's going to be OK. That's the most important thing. Everyone is going to be OK. I love that. That is such good advice. And it just made me think about my son. I think the first time he turned to me and he said, you're ruining my life. He was five. And I'm like, oh, just you wait. Just you wait. You think I'm ruining it now? <laughs> just you wait. But I'm sure it all started even earlier. But you're right. We all make mistakes. We're all doing the best we can. And that's the right. advice you gave about not comparing, oh, that's so hard, but it is so important. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, we're all different. Yep. I have loved our talk and I'm so excited that you are jumping in and taking over and Me leading too, these Deb. classes. You really have great advice and I love your background that you're bringing to the breastfeeding classes. They're just, I think it's you. invaluable. So, all right, people out there that live in the city, because I know this goes everywhere, but if you happen to be in New York, I hope that you check out Ayala's classes. She'll be taking over the breastfeeding workshop, which is kind of like a breastfeeding 101, the caring for a newborn, which is a lot of the practical advice, but you'll actually get a chance to do it, like swallow yep. and bathe and hands on, hands yep. on. And then for the breastfeeding support, which is actually one of the favorite, my favorite things we offer at the studio, because I remember being early on and being like, I don't know what I'm doing yeah. and having someone which is, you know, not you're a fantastic like private lactation consultant, but not everyone can afford that. So yes, coming absolutely. to the studio and having a community to cry with and talk about with and yep. having you available with those skills. And if, if it's not PYC and you're out there and you're dealing with this, I recommend looking for a support group that can help 
because if you're wanting to breastfeed, it's important to have support. Many of us Absolutely. cannot do it on our own. So please look. So I, yay, I'm so excited. Well, thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. And happy holidays. <laughs> you too. All right. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.